Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, actually interesting to other people. So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions, what filming techniques speak louder than words, and what things just really don't make that much sense. In our opinions, anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. So the themes that might be difficult for some people that we'll be discussing today are around bereavement, and the loss of a family member, difficult, strained family relationships, and there will be a cursory nod to casual sex, which which might turn some people on, as opposed to off this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if any of those issues will be difficult for you, take care of yourself, and we will see you on the next episode. I can understand that casual sex might be difficult for, for some of our viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Especially this year, being stuck, not able it's to... Almost, it's almost like a gloat, isn't it? It is a little. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, in order to get everyone back up to speed with the film, if it's been a little while since you've seen it, if you've not seen it yet, then go away. Come back when you have. <laughs> so, we'll give you three seconds, uh, if you haven't seen it, to turn off. That's three. Two. One. Okay. Peter Quill, our hero, or Star-Lord as you may know him, has a bounty put on his head after stealing an orb that is desired by Ronan, a powerful villain that wants to take over the whole universe. To overcome this, he confides in a group of crazy misfits who he brings together. Rocket, a mutant raccoon. Groot, a talking tree. Drax, a warrior bent on revenging his wife and daughter. And Gamora, the adopted daughter of Ronan. But upon his discovery of the orb's true use and danger it poses, the responsibility falls to him and his new friends to save the universe in a last desperate stand. That's as dramatic as the film. <laughs> I like it. Dum dum dum. I love doing that every week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to kick us off by chatting about the music in Guardians, which is, I think, the, the big thing. Are we actually arguing that the music is the protagonist? <laughs> no. no, no, we're not going to start that. <laughs> Nothing yet. It is a, 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 almost another character, though. You're not going to argue. You're not going to try and argue that, like Zoe Saldana is the main character. <laughs> there wouldn't be a story without Gamora. She is amazing. <laughs> but. It's, it's not the case. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> she, she only just comes into it in order to facilitate something else going on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the music in this is a great plot device which is used to establish Quill's attachment to Earth and his emotional connection to his mum. The, the director, James Gunn, used songs he thought Quill's mother would have liked 
um, like David Bowie and The Runaways, The Jackson 5. They, they all make appearances throughout, throughout the film and they're commented by tracks by lesser known artists as well, like Swede, Hugs and a Feeling. Although still slight hits, um, they never truly had their day in the sun is what James Gunn said. <laughs> so the main audience that the songs and the whole film is aimed at is around our generation, I feel like. Mm. Um, and the idea of the main character's mum having compiled this mixtape means that we can relate to it in a sense of like, my dad might have also compiled a mixtape mm. at the time, you know? Mm. Um, and, and in that sense, we could have, we could have all been Star-Lord, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most people have got memories, haven't they, of their first music taste being formed by, by their parents. Yeah, like you talked chatting the other day. What was it about? Oh yeah, I used to um, I used to fall asleep to heavy metal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what. I, yeah, it was the best way of. It's, it's a long way from getting you to sleep. Long way from the Bee Gees and and the Gypsy Kings. <laughs> Is that were yours? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Actually, I was about to say this is not very interesting for for our listeners, but I guess it is a good in, it's a good representation of how um, we do feel like we know Quill's mum because we know her music taste, and I, I think it's it's one of those like first questions you ask someone, isn't it, when you get to know them, like, it's like what kind of music you yeah, do. Yeah, if you, if you're at like a house party or something, I always used to hate those kind of questions. You like like Euro trash, dancey. Yeah, yeah pop stuff you like to be happy i think that's the thing in your music you like happy mm. give me some like reggaeton track i could i could dance until six o'clock in the morning and it's been done many times <laughs> we're hearing more about dave's exciting life in spain now <laughs> i feel yeah can't do that this year though god I, I well i could dance around my knickers until six o'clock but i'd probably get a knock on the door wouldn't i <laughs> Yeah, from me, because I need to sleep. I have a day job. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forget that. <laughs> so, yeah, the director and the writer as well, James Gunn, he kept the music and the soundtrack and the songs as a key part of the story from the very word go. He, he got this mixtape together, like a butt of like 500 songs initially. Wow. And he whittled it down, whittled it down. But actually, so the songs that are in the final edit of the film were ones that he'd written in at the very start on the first draft. And it's so rare that nothing changes. Mm. I mean, obviously things changed, but on the music side of it, it was all exactly as as initially thought of, mm. which is remarkable. Like, it just never happened. He, he compiled hits from the 70s, 60s and 70s, not from, like, overplayed artists. The characters, they're not necessarily ones that you'd know from the MCU universe. Mm. They're, they're on the fringes, mm. but obviously they're made of... An amazing film out of it. I've made two, is it three? Three films now? Two that are purely Guardians. Um, and then they're also, they've, they've come into the extended universe. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, right, great. People love this, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll pop them in. We'll pop them in. But, does it, but I think that, that goes with the characters as well, because they are, they're misfits. They're kind of like rejects from society, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, right, well, you've, you've yeah, yeah, I can see how you'd fit in there. Go on, get in. Go on, go on, shoot, shoot all of them in. And it's remarkable, the... Guardians of the Galaxy, awesome mixtape volume one, um, which was the soundtrack for the first film, topped the album charts, becoming the first soundtrack ever to do it. You got like you can't imagine John Williams' soundtrack or like the the Lord of the Rings soundtrack mm. making it to number one on the album charts, can you? 
all the songs are unapologetically non-earthy. They they shun you off into space and leave you there to swim. You know. It is probably the the soundtrack I've listened to the most. Like I I have streamed that several times to listen to. Because it's great. <laughs> it is great. It is great. So the thing that I want to talk about though really is the music in this film and the overall function of music in films because very often like we'll just we won't appreciate the use of music. It'll be there and it'll help create atmosphere and things and we we almost take it for granted. We don't really listen to it. It's more just part of the effect and we go, "Oh yeah, that that was that was cool. That was nice." But with a film like this, the tracks, they're so well chosen and they're intrinsic to the plot as well. I think that's probably why they stuck with with the same tracks in the draft edit of the film to the final version because they're not just any songs. Like They, they really they help to explain the, the trials and tribulations that the characters are, are going through at every moment that they use, of course. Mm. Of course, if we're looking at the functionality of music and film, we're looking at like the music is either commenting, illustrating movements, creating atmosphere, portraying emotions, setting geological place and time, creating a sense of space, or, or priming, or it's a psychological conditioning of the audience. So if we look at more detail of what I mean by that, it's like when you say commenting, I mean like making a running scene, for example, you can make it joyous, you can make it terrifying, um, you can make a battle scene heroic or terrible. Um, oh. This is reminding me so much of that... Do you remember that YouTube clip you showed me the other day of... What was it called? Darth Um, Vader, wasn't it? Yeah, but what was it called? Like, um, the difference a backing tune makes or something like that. But yeah, no, that's really... I've never really thought about it in that much detail. But yeah, they they put that scene where you've got Darth Vader walking across the the Death Star <laughs> looking at his like officer in command or something and they put a love song on it yeah it was um, uh, 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 I know this much is that's it yeah and it's got um, it's got Vader walking down from a ship when it's Vader walking down the it? gangway that's the one that's the word yeah and it's got two different tracks isn't it it's got the the Star Wars the, the original mm-hmm. music to it and then it's got this love song. Yeah. But it was, oh, just the way that you, as an audience member, interpreted the way that um, the, his first in command, that he licks his lips slightly. <laughs> and the, ama- like, the difference that made from him being terrified to him being sort of nervously um, awaiting his lover <laughs> was, was, it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't, we don't really think about the effect that sort of one track can have over another. So there's there's an effect called the Kuleshov effect. It's a film editing effect to do with imagery. And so you've got the face of a person on one shot and then they cut and the next shot is like of a baby or of a woman or of a car crash. And in the first shot, it's just a, a plain shot of a person's face and there's no emotion expressed. Mm-hmm. But depending on what they're looking at or what they're, what it's shown that they're looking at, so the cut between. The audience will project different emotions onto this one face. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same with music. Mm-hmm. In that in that moment you were saying about Star Wars, like you don't think about the music, but it has such a, a huge effect on on the audience mm-hmm. in, in that one specific moment. It's really impressive. So 
illustrating movement or following the action, like uh, you know the opening of Baby Driver. Where oh, it's driving. Baby, Baby Driver is amazing. I would also love to do an episode on Baby Driver. I'm just saying now. Okay. Cool. Cool. Right. Ba- Baby Driver. Next one. Yes. Um, but I'm covering music in now, so I can't. Oh God, that's that's all you have, isn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there are some good actors in it, also. Yeah. But in this, there's a like a an, a music technique called Mickey Mousing, where the character responds to the music or the music to the character, um, and you see you see when he goes to get coffee, for mm. example, as he's dancing across the road, mm-hmm. um, you see him interacting with people or or not crossing the road or or getting out of the way of a car, um, and it has. It's, it's like he's responding to the music and the music's responding to him and that same thing happens in, in Guardians. Yeah. So at the beginning of Guardians mm. when he's bopping around uh, when he sticks the Walkman on initially and then he, he he's, he's on this planet where there are all these little tiny creatures that want to eat him and he just goes around kicking them and grabbing them and using them as a mic and you know you can see that same technique used here. Mm. And it sort of shows his his casual nature around what is actually a really dangerous environment. <laughs> yeah. He just, it, it, that's his playground. Which is set up by the music. If there was no music, it'd be a very different. Yeah. It'd be eerie. It'd be really odd. Or, or you could choose a, like a, a haunting track, mm. I suppose, mm. which would have a, the opposite effect. Mm. Yeah, it's a real insight into, it's like we, we already know what his character is about through the music he chooses within 20 seconds yeah you've got character set up boom there yeah and um they played on repeat tracks throughout the day when they were filming that james gunn had had previously chosen that these tracks like encapsulated exactly the feeling that they're trying to get out of each day oh that's cool and he played on set just so as the actors walked on to set, they'd be like, right, okay, this is the feeling that I want you to create mm. for me. Mm. That's a much nicer way of doing it than Hitchcock did when he was trying to <laughs> basically mentally torture his, normally the female leads. Yeah, I, I don't think that approach, one, worked, and two, would be allowed today. I'd hope not. <laughs> not now. But this is a, that's a much nicer way of priming an actor. Yeah. Yeah. We look at creating atmosphere. So, like, think of the the opening of 2001 Space Odyssey or Apocalypse Now. Let's never do Apocalypse Now. It's... Why? I find it too long. <laughs> it's pretty torturous, isn't it? Yeah. Like, not, not that it's a bad film. It's just, like, it's harrowing. Yeah, I just don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've done my time. I, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry if I've deeply offended anyone, but... Oh, you can get you can get another psychologist in if you want to do that episode. <laughs> That's fine. You think of undercreating atmosphere. Another one I really like is uh, the Silence of the Lambs at the start, where Jodie Foster's running through the trees, and you don't you don't see her face until the music changes, and that moment where she's climbing up a hill, and that's the first moment you see her face, and you're like, oh right, okay, well this character's going to have to climb a hill uh, in this in this film. It's a great metaphor. Hmm. Um, for how she's going to have to conduct herself throughout the rest of it. Or your favourite, mm-hmm. Casablanca. Oh. The big twos and fro's of strings. Yes. And she's at the airport to accompany Time Goes By. I lost myself the first time I watched that film. 
It's incredible. Yeah. You're not supposed to be driving at the same time as watching. <laughs> but tell, tell me, to give me some examples of these things in Guardians. So with the creating atmosphere at the very start, mm. for example, and, and at the end, with, with the upbeat soundtrack, it puts you as an audience member into the right emotional state for the rest of the film. Mm. You've been given this, this soundtrack and you can relax into the film. You can relax and you know it instantaneously. It's going to be a feel-good film. There's not going to be any real danger. Like, Yeah. Of course, you know, you're going to see a Marvel film, so you know it's going to be mild terror, and mm. mild danger, mm. but the good guys are going to win out. Mm. But with the use of these particular tracks, it just instantaneously makes you relax. Mm. And when we talk about um, music portraying emotions through film, it's like when... Um, when they say goodbye in E.T., for example. Um, it's heartbreaking. Uh, with the big strings and horns going on in the background, there's a great video on, on YouTube of it, illustrated of the difference between when the music is there and without the music. Mm. And without the music is weird. Like, it's another <laughs> one. Uh, Star Wars, like episode... I don't know. Um, Star Wars with Ren, when she goes to meet uh, Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And... Without the music, there's a half a minute of just just looking at each other. <laughs> it's really hot. <laughs> yeah, that would be a that'd be a strange day on set. I'd have thought <laughs> mm. where you just stare really intently at each other, like you know what's going on, and then they stare back at you, like yes, I know. Do you actually do the full thing of that, or do they just have it on loop? <laughs> do you actually have to do all of that staring time? No, yeah, you would. Oh. But you you might be like looking at you wouldn't be looking at the your co-star. You'd just be pick a point on the horizon and, and look very intently. Your job is very weird. It is. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not professing it's not. It is it is very odd. And this portraying of emotions is used um towards the end of Guardians where is it Fleetwood Mac, the chain? Mmm. Where they're all holding hands and it's like, look, look, what's happening in the music? It's happening on screen. Look, can you can you see? Can you see? Never break the chain. No, never. <laughs> and they've all come together and it's beautiful and they're more powerful for it. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually really emotional. I love that song. Was there a tear in your eye as we were watching it? A little bit. <laughs> I I do get very emotional in films though. I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm a good audience member, I think. For that. Yeah, you've got to remember for theatre, for TV and film, I have to be the one just going, there, 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 darling. <laughs> I suppose as a someone who doesn't know too much about the field, I guess I've always just thought of music in film doing a good job if I don't notice it. Yeah, it's, it's very, very true. It, it depends what it's trying to achieve as well. Mm. Because it, like, if you're trying to... You're trying to create an atmosphere. You don't want the focus being on the music. No. You want it on the action, with the atmosphere created around you, mm. and it, it adding like little bits to it. It's like the lighting. You wouldn't think about the lighting, but I've I've got a very good friend that I'm sure would would protest <laughs> that uh, the lighting is the most important part of anything. <laughs> any uh, theatre production, any film, mm. it's, it's the lighting. It's all about the lighting. Mm. But again, it's something that you only notice if it's off. Which is why they're so 
under they're not celebrated but there are some people who are actually really good at their jobs like mm-hmm. you know immediately like you said you know immediately if it's off yeah and you're like I don't know why but there's something wrong with this mm. but the same can be said about the acting you know if somebody betrays something slightly slightly different mm. then it can leave you sort of like cocking your head going yeah. Not sure about that. And it, it breaks the fourth wall in a bad way. Oh. Oh. Are you trying to... Wow. Very have, nice. Have I impressed you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm learning. You are. Thank you. Um, you'll be much better than me in, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I've got to stop this. Well, I've got to do something. You had a whole year of me working from home over the phone listening Christ. to you could have done my job i think i, I could still do your job mm. you know any, anyone got any uh pain management issues like let's let's get it on i, I can well not let's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how you treat it <laughs> it's not <laughs> i mean but i think that is a, a something that needs to be considered as part of a treatment plan Oh, 100%. I'm a big advocate for having a positive attitude to sex, generally. Um, and it's incredibly good for your psychological as well as physical well-being. Not so good for your film knowledge, however. So, um, talking about, <laughs> talking about uh, the music still, and sort of the last thing that it... The last main thing that music can do is create a sense of geological space and time and, and pace as well. Um, mm. If you look at um, if you have an, like an electric track, it can put you in the 90s straight there. Or if you have a Kaylee band over the top, it can make you think of a wedding, for example. Mm. Um, or it can create a sense of space, like in a two-person film, say in a very small space, it'd be odd to have it accompanied by a whole orchestra piece rather than just one or two instruments mm. and keeping it sort of quite close and enclosed. And the music can, can really help embolden these elements in a film mm. and where would you see that in in galaxy keeping us on topic yeah i think the place that we're most likely to see it is when quill and gamora are, are out on the balcony together and they play he's he's listening to his cassette and he puts the puts the earbud in the air it's all very cute um and it's uh was it fooled around in love by elvis Bishop. Bishop. El- yeah. El- Elvin? Elvin Bishop? Elvin. I, I was thinking about Elvis while I was... <laughs> no, he's... Um, yeah, I think in that moment, that's... It, it really creates that song on its own. You could play it in pretty much any circumstance and you'd know it's going to be a really slushy, like, really nice feeling, mm. wouldn't you? It's quite a juxtaposition from a lot of the rest of the film, actually, isn't it? Because they have, like, quite... Big tracks, boppy. quite explosive, yeah. yeah, quite boppy, and it's 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 a big space because like they do explore the whole galaxy, whereas suddenly it's it's sort of a pause in time, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is, and it's really it brings it down to that level. Mm. It brings it down a level, you know, because in the background you've got all this, like you've got a whole new world that you've never seen before, and then brings you just to these two people. And you realise that these, that's what the scene is all about. It's not about this new world that we're in. Mm. It, it's about the two people in their journey. Mm. But that can happen, can't it? When, 
when you're newly in love or falling in love with someone. I don't know. Oh, shush. But you will, there will be those moments, won't there, when suddenly you've kind of got no idea what's going on around you. It feels like you could be in your own little bubble. Yeah, you forget the rest of the world exists. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. And those are really nice, innocent moments. Yeah. That, it's really hard to portray on film. Because, I mean, apart from the act of forgetting there's a camera there, <laughs> and also about 30 people behind the camera Ugh. also looking at you. Mm. But I guess the music can help to do that. Absolutely. It's very cool. Yeah. The nostalgia as well. Mm. The nostalgic element in each of these songs is is brilliant because it it wraps around the the themes and the specific moments and musical cues right from the off with the you know come and get your love and it's from you know music is something which taps into a really primal part of of the human being of, of a lot of animals animals yeah so interestingly humans are thought to be the only primate that can keep a beat and dance with the rhythm but like if you saw a pig doing that you'd flip (laughs) yeah but but other animals can like birds for example can really like yeah yeah have you ever oh you're like a parrot i suppose exactly yeah you watch a parrot or a, a cockatiel a parakeet you will see them being able to to move along and they are moved by music and that's something that you also know we also know happens in in humans um it taps into like a pre-verbal part of our brain so because it's it's so intrinsically part of us it's it's more more basic than more mm. animalistic ironically mm. than than speaking yeah speaking isn't a natural thing we have to learn that whereas beat is so ingrained in us. That's why drums are so... When you hear a good good beat, yeah, it's so hard not to bop along, you know? But you feel it, don't you? Like quite low mm. down in your body almost. Yeah. It feels very like centre to your core. For me anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, you get more right side activation when listening to music. So, right. so Brain right side. side of your brain yeah yeah so it's not oh, i'm making this very simplistic but mostly language is on the left and emotions are and instincts are more on the right and you see a lot more right side activation in the brain uh when when people are listening to music which um might be another way that it's a really good tool to use in film to quickly convey quite a lot of emotion because it will tap in yeah tap into so much tapping into a, a basic instinct a base understanding that we we have as humans yeah yeah it, we can get um we can get a vibe and know there's like an innate wisdom then isn't there so like i know about the situation i couldn't necessarily describe it in words but i know exactly what is going on here i know how to respond hmm. Um, and that's something that, yeah, straight from the get-go. Like, we, we, we play music to fetuses. So before before someone's even born, we will play music for them because we know that it helps with 
sort of training emotion regulation with brain development like it's actually it's such an innate thing within us before we're even born like you put the headphones on uh, you can do, or just play music around, or if you've got a speaker, you can move it closer to the belly. You can put headphones on them. <laughs> wow. But they can feel the vibration, and there's arguments that they can also hear the beat. Bef- there's there's like an evolutionary theory that before we learnt to you know articulate structured language, we would communicate through tone, through rhythm, through drums. But you can make music, you can make sounds with your own body. Mm. And there's there's um, cases of or there's studies that have been done on uh, if you play Beethoven or Mozart to fetuses, I think yeah, mm. I think you're right. And it, they're so intrinsic the way that they're structured, mm. they they can help train you. Yeah, it can start. It can stimulate neural activity, and it's that's a bit why, like going. That's, that's why you're the the doctor. Because <laughs> I have the words. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like going to the gym, but for your for your brain. You know, yes, you need to keep stimulating these things, and that's how we, that's how we get better neural pathways. That's how we, um, we get quicker. How we get smarter through mm. through practice. But we need such varying stimulation. And one of the good things that, from my neuroscience background, I know is that music is really good for tapping into our emotions and also for connecting us with other people. So music therapy has been shown to be quite, um, quite successful with helping people learn to process emotions that they can't put into words, for example. They've also done studies that show that playing music releases oxytocin, which is our, um, our sort of bonding content safe chemical um so it's something that really the body likes and it it says thank you when we do it (laughs) so i had quite a lot of fun um formulating peter quill uh i got my books out i was looking at um they were everywhere they were everywhere i've not done anything from a, a cat perspective in quite a while. Sorry, so that, what? That's uh, uh, cognitive analytic therapy. Not just like, you're going to watch it really close to the screen. <laughs> Is that what a cat would do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, not quite. Um, but it, but it's, as a model, it looks a lot at sort of reciprocal, what we call reciprocal roles, basically relationships, and that sort of that interplay between people. Um, and the thing that really struck me about Peter Quill, the main character, was the different kind of attachment relationships he's had in his life, the different kind of bases that he's had to, to build relationships from and kind of explore the world from, because he's definitely explored the world. He's explored more than the world. He's explored the galaxy. Yeah. Um, Pretty cool job. Really cool job. Yeah. Yeah. Nice going, Chris Pratt. Well done. <laughs> but it's really interesting to think about, you know, how how does he view the world based on, you know, up until the age of was it seven, eight, he was there with his mum who told him about a dad who is absent, but his mum talked about his dad as a, you know, a shining star and this wonderful character of light 
but he never met his father. So he's got this kind of like ideal version of a father and a mum who clearly loves him. He's got a family around him, which you see in the hospital at the start. Yeah, they are very caring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you wouldn't leave a a seven, eight-year-old on his own when he's just seen his mum die. But That was a massive error. (laughs) I mean, there's all sorts of issues that would come from that. But apart from that, they do seem like a loving, caring family. Mm. And he goes straight from that to being kidnapped by aliens so he's also just found out about aliens and and then he he's going from quite a what i what we would kind of probably term a secure attachment base with his biological family to um quite a chaotic threatening environment of people who have kidnapped him and then keep him and then want to eat him yeah apparently yeah and then his Almost, I'm going to call him his adopted father because mm. he sort of was by, the, the, by that point. Mm. Yondu, um, his then boss, uh, he, yeah, then teaches Quill to think that the rest of the crew would have eaten him if he didn't protect him. That, that feels like a, an abuse of power. That, that's an abusive relationship right there. Right, okay. Yeah, this idea that I am your saviour. I've taken you out of actually a very nice family, but no, 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 no. I am your saviour. I am the only reason you're alive right now. You need to be grateful. But that kind of issue, that happens a lot throughout... We've seen that throughout history. Like, and certainly in a lot of stories, like, the guy will come and he'll, he'll go and he'll take the, take the girl away and save her. Mm. And you're saying that, that's always? Is that an abusive relationship? Not always. But if that becomes a long-standing basis and that's how your relationship stays, if that's just the story that maintains, yeah, I would say it is. That's, that's not equal. That's not healthy. That's always one person having to be grateful to another. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that he's gone from one quite secure base to one very chaotic, potentially threatening one. And I, I, yeah, I was curious about then when he grows up as a grown-up, what, would, what is that going to make him... <laughs> Um, and, and friendship just seems like such a theme in this film. I, I'd hope you would agree. Um, um, friendship and bonding, yeah. Mm. And I think it's interesting to kind of think about like how that sits with Quill, who, after a lot of deliberation, I was kind of like playing around with... Because we've, we've basically got three, three to four attachment styles that we tend to class people as. So you've got a, cure, a secure attachment, avoidant attachment, and then you have more of a sort of anxious, nervous attachment. And then you can also have mixed attachment, which can often be seen when someone's had um, uh, more of a chaotic family background or an early background. So sometimes their parents or their caregiver is loving and attentive, but then sometimes they're really not. So you can get this mix between the two because they're, they're never quite sure. Which is the most interesting? Which is the most interesting? On, on film. Or is that completely dependent on the circumstances? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, if I give you a bit of a brief definition, I'm curious to know what okay. you would see as the most interesting one to play. Right. So secure is this, they've had a good enough childhood, they feel comfortable to explore the world, but they know that there's always help there for them. Uh-uh. Not that one, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, avoidant, which I think is what Peter Quill has become as a coping mechanism really you rely only on yourself you are your secure base 
no one else can be trusted. That could lead to a, like a strong character. Yeah. Not physically, but like emotionally strong and quite, quite secure in himself. I think there's a social commentary on this one. But they can seem very resilient. We can actually, they can be mm-hmm. like the leaders because they don't really like the idea of other people being in charge. Or the idea of other people. Or the idea of other people, exactly. Right. Um, okay, so that one's a maybe. Okay. Um, sort of more anxious attachment. They can be quite dependent on others. They don't necessarily feel they've got the tools and the resources to go out and explore the world because they're, they'd be worried that as soon as they leave, the people that they've left behind will leave them. That could be interesting. More of a, a weaker character trait. Yeah, so socially that would be possibly seen as more... They're, inse- they're insecure, mm. but in a kind of like a way that they constantly need that reassurance. Okay, well, yeah, so that maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that could be a, an interesting character, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the mixed attachment, that's more... They've, they've probably grown up in a really unpredictable environment. Um, so they can they can struggle the most with forming uh, like relationships as adults because again it's very difficult to trust anyone so they might go very hot and cold to other people so sometimes they will you know someone will be absolutely the best thing ever but then when they fall off that pedestal they really fall um, or maybe they'll, you know, they'll be really fiercely connected to someone and they have a really great relationship, but at some point they get scared and then suddenly they either leave or they need a lot of reassurance. Well, I think ding, 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 ding. <laughs> think, that one. I think we've found our answer right there. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the unpredictability of it. Mm. And you said like they may have had some good relationships early on and then they've changed. Yeah, the last one, I think, because it, it leads to an uncertainty. And you're never quite sure what's, how the character's going to respond mm. and therefore be interested to play. Yeah. And I think I'd like that one, please. Anyone listening? Got a play like that? Let's do it. <laughs> I would love to watch you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go for dinner on you afterwards. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. Because after the show, we'll probably be at like, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 at night. And the only place that's open at that time, McDonald's. oh damn (laughs) i do i i think you know from from looking at then the way that star lord peter quill is throughout the rest of the film avoidant absolutely he's as a coping strategy for this flip between a secure base to something much more chaotic he's gone avoidant he's like right okay i need to be ruthless i need to just rely on myself which could be something that he's learned from yondu you know, they're all, they're bounty hunters, they're scavengers. Yes, they, they run as a pack, essentially, but it sounds like they're all pretty much free agents. Um, and, and in that, he has this great bond with Yondu, but there's so many other influences there. Mm. Also, if, if, you know, it is this great big pack that we're led to understand, like 15 at least, I think, somewhere mm-hmm. around there at least. There's a lot of influences that would be on a small child. Yeah, that we don't know anything about. Mm. yeah but I think it's interesting that that's the one that he's developed when from the way I defined these different attachments naturally I would have thought he would have come out more 
more mixed because he has had both those, you know, secure, positive, reaffirming, reassuring relationships and then something very chaotic. This mix of the my crew are bad, they are dangerous, but me, Yondu, I am good, I will protect you. That sounds more chaotic, but I wondered just for a, a bit of a script sort of storyline point of view and the fact that he's the main character, in order for him to be the main character and the captain of his ship and the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, is it more convenient for him to be avoidant, which makes more sense, as you pointed out, with him then looking like a strong character? Most definitely. Because you want, in these MCU films... MCU uh, films? uh, Marvel. Oh, oh, right, okay. You want a a character who is likeable. Yeah. The matter of the things he has to do, you want him, you want the audience to be on his side. You don't ever want the audience questioning that. Like, you, you think of the, the Thor films. Yeah, we're, we're never not on Thor's side. Mm. You know, whether it's because he's, he's great looking or whatever. Like, you're, you're, never in, you're never questioning that. Mm. And you want there to be interest. Mm. You want it to be an interesting character. But to steer on the line of, but it's okay. And he's strong, he's reliable, we can feel comfortable with him. Exactly. Yeah. And as someone who is quite avoidant... <laughs> In oh, my attachment. That's good. It's good that you can admit. I, I can admit that. I can. Um, and I come from a profession of people who can be quite avoidant in their attachment style. Um, potentially controversial point, but I think it's important to, to be okay with is that a lot of therapists generally like to solve and help with other people's distress because that's easier than looking at our own... <laughs> So, guys, she's just branded you all tar with the same brush. Oh, all psychologists. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not all. No. But, I, but I do think it's quite common. It's kind of that physician heal thyself philosophy. I think it's interesting as someone who, who is, I know that there's certain things in society that actually encourage an avoidant attachment style because they can seem strong they're often good listeners because it's much easier to spend the time talking about other people let's not focus on me because then we can maybe get onto my vulnerabilities but i i think that is a a very british trait Mm -hmm. i i actually i don't know much on this it would be interesting to know what the breakdown is of what like percentages of attachment style there are based on country that would be interesting this is then an American character, so I don't know again how that displays differently. Mm. Not a clue. <laughs> I like that you thought about that first, though. Yeah. A- a- anybody with a say? Anybody with an opinion? Ryan, let, let us know. What's up, me? Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> Message our Instagram. Thank oh, yeah. you. Cool. Um, but I-, I think it's interesting then as they kind of go along the film that. Star-Lord is the character that kind of... He can reach out to others. And he does, I think. You know, he brings this band of of people together. He clearly, quite early on, feels a real draw towards Gamora. We also know from his backstory that he has a lot of very casual relationships with attractive women in the galaxy. He, He uses that. And I think that very much ties into him being an avoidant attachment style this idea that like i can get short-term gratification from 
from sexual partners but then I don't have to open up I don't have to you know um I don't have to hope that this is something I could rely on long term but it's interesting how then for some reason Gamora is different and I wonder if it's that she's just such such an impressive character maybe she's the one who he thinks could stand up to the mother who who he let down and who left him because that's going to be an idealized mum it can't not be I also wonder how many of the women he's had a, a one night stand or like a fling with mm. um, have tried to kill him <laughs> and is that some kind of like aphrodisiac like wow I'm all about this I mean, she, she's definitely an equal, if not, well, I'm sure Gamora would argue, a better than him. <laughs> it's interesting, he, he uses humour as a coping strategy, which is, again, very avoidant. I don't we all? Yes, oh, no, I, th- I think it, it's a very common coping strategy, but I think it's interesting that, yeah, he jokes about um, she's not the first person to try and kill him. He potentially, you know, he risks his life to save her. And then when they land on Yondu's ship, she asks what happened and he immediately jokes about what he did because that's safer. Also, I think that it's that's good scripting-wise mm. in that it gets a laugh. It's at mm. the end of the film, lightens it up a bit and everyone knows that, that the good people survive. The good guys win. I mean, it's good that it, it does fit with, um, with his character. But I think a big driving point of that would be let's end it on a good note. Yeah. But I think, I think again, that's, that's why I think from a psychology point of view, for me, for me, makes more sense if he developed more of a mixed attachment style to cope with his, you know, current circumstances. Whereas actually the way it's been written, um, he's developed a more avoidant attachment style because it makes him maybe a more likable character because you can use jokes and humor more he can be the captain and he can be a pretty good captain because again great i can be in charge of these other people okay yeah i can see that making sense yeah that i suppose yeah with my psychologist hat on that's how i can kind of make sense of it but i think it's interesting that yeah that's the way it's been written i think it says a lot about you know, what an audience would would like and would respond to. I also think it's really interesting um, how it's the other characters around, so Groot in particular, but then sort of reluctantly Rocket and then also Gamora talks about them being a family, about being friends. I don't remember Star-Lord ever actually saying those words. I think he nods along and he goes along with it. I don't think he says those words because that's, opening up that's vulnerability but we're drawn to these these characters that have that vulnerability but don't want to go there because mm. it's, it's a bit of mystical a bit of mystique mm. about it mm. a bit of darkness that you're not not entirely sure it leaves a little bit up to you to make the decision as well that's why i think it's it's a good character trait to play because you're not giving everything away mm. you're still keeping something for you for you to decide whether whether you're the hero or the villain, in in some in in, in some plays, it's great when there's the anti-hero almost, and you're never quite sure why they're doing it. Is it for the best, or is it personal gain, or, mm. or what? And I think that's that's the key element in this. Well, I think we, 
I don't know if it's changing, but we, I think as a society, we prefer the anti-hero. They are more interesting. They're a lot more relatable. Yeah. I know it's a different Marvel film, but I was really reluctant to watch the Captain America films because my version of Captain America that I had in my head beforehand was such a stereotypical two-dimensional character. Boring. Whereas actually, I think the way Chris Evans played it and the way that they've written that those stories, amazing. He is a lot more complicated. Yeah. Um, but I think Peter Quill, there's a lot, there is a lot going on under the surface that maybe we haven't, we don't know about. And that's okay. And, and you know, with the second and third film, then I'm sure they'll go into that. Mm. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure they went into it in the second one. I haven't seen the second one. Oh my God, it's brilliant. You need so. to see it. You need to see it. I, again, cried like a baby. Was it because of the music? Maybe. I'm going to have to watch <laughs> it again. <laughs> I think it was the words, but maybe it was the music. <laughs> but the words with the music overlaid on top? Most probably. It is a Guardians film. So I imagine so, yes. Yeah, but the music in this is incredible. I think it's... Um, it's interesting, again, that maybe that speaks to his history of having a secure attachment that um, it's almost a way for him to build a safe space in an unsafe environment when he listens to his music and that is his most precious possession. He goes back in, into the prison to go and get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that, that I will do with people in therapy as well as how do we build a safe space to feel okay about going out into the world? And for some people that is music. So I think it's, it's interesting that that's maybe the way that he, he gets that link with an older, more safe, reliable world. What, what music would you need in order to feel safe in the world? Me? Yeah. As like a backing track for your life. Oh, I honestly think it'd be something Something like a bowl of a soup. <laughs> Just because... Because at 17, when I was not a care in the world, they were my heroes. Mm. I've seen them more than any other band. Seen them three times. That's cool. Yeah. They're great. Maybe different songs for different kinds of safe space, maybe? There's, um, there's a, a, a piece of music that you play on the piano... And I really love... I think I associate it with you now. And is I that love... a good thing? No, it is. It's a really good thing. But I've, I've heard you practice it several times in three different homes that we've sort of shared. Um, and that, make, that makes me feel very soothed and safe. Oh. That's very soppy. I'm sorry. No, that's right. I'll allow it because it's about me. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. The avoidant has gone for someone who's really happy for all the attention to be on them. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> this is like therapy for me. <laughs> That's why I let you do the majority of the talking. Because this is just cathartic for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see. That's, that's why. It's not because I'm more articulate. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved watching this film. Um, it's it's one of my faves. Um, the soundtracks are also amazing to play board games by. True we fact. Should do that this evening. Yes, we should. Is there is there a Guardians of the Galaxy board game? No, I don't think so. Maybe there is. Should be. If anybody knows any Guardians of the Galaxy board games, hit us up. 
<laughs> Let us know. We would be all over that. Would be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bit that we would change. Oh. For me, it's a it's it's a Marvel film, so we always know the good guy's gonna win out. But I find it's a little if I'm being super picky. Super super picky super picky. It's a little formulaic and you know what you're gonna get. But there's it's quite nice in that sense as well. You know that they're never really in danger. Even even when he even when he puts his mask on Gamora, you know he's gonna be he's gonna be alright. Like if this was a film like Interstellar, there is every chance that he's just gonna die. You know? But we know that the main character is gonna be alright and we know that all the goodies are gonna be gonna be fine as well. So that's that's the thing for me. Little formulaic. Okay. I think as well, there's the for it to make psychological sense. It would be interesting to see Peter Quill with more of a mixed attachment style as an adult. So yes, have this basis of maybe more avoidant generally, but maybe maybe show a bit more of his vulnerability. I think it is there, and it might be that they explore it more in the second one, but he clearly has started forming an attachment with Gamora. She's quite rejecting of him in some ways. But it needs that for the, the character journey. Yeah, yeah. Because if she just fell from straight away, it'd be like, oh, right, well... It'd just be a hidden credit situation. No, it would, absolutely. And and I agree. So I, I, I think it's... I think it's good that she she's a smart woman and you know that's why um but he's clearly started to actually fall for her and it'd be interesting to then see more of that insecure um anxious side coming out in that maybe I think there are yeah there are a few sort of little moments where he sulks a little and maybe that's that a little bit um but yeah, it would be more interesting to see definitely more of a mixed um, interrelational style in him. But I really enjoy it as just a really fun film. It basically feels like a Disney film. You've got the main character whose parent died at the beginning. They go through trials and tribulations. And then by the end, he's the hero. So basically you want to see more Chris Pratt sulking. A little bit. Which is interesting because I, I I think he's I think he's great in this film, I really do. But he's um, come a long way since Parkland Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Physically as well, it's incredible. Oh yeah, but you know, hey, you know, anyone out there, you want to pay me a million pounds? Ha! <laughs> I'll get in great shape. <laughs> <laughs> what if I tell you I'll pay you a million pounds? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, it was an interesting film. I would like to see it more with that mixed attachment. That's it. Great. Well, join us again for the next episode. See you later, guys. Bye.